Good morning and happy Father's Day. It's, uh, it was a sweet time for me this morning. Uh, Holly and the girls got here about 30, 45 minutes after me. When they saw me, they came running full of love and spirit, giving daddy hugs and kisses. It was a great gift for me. Uh, my name is Hugh, and I'm one of the pastors here. And let me just say at the outset that you as a church family are truly a joy to lead. Thank God for each and every one of you, and also thank God for uh, the two godly men that I get to serve with as pastors, and both of those sorry dogs are at the beach <laughs> this week. Um, Matt actually um, is trumping Toby's vacation as they celebrate their 10 years of, uh, of married life together in Jamaica, so he does vacation better than Toby does. Um, my, one of my main tasks with the church is to oversee and uh, lead out with small group ministry. We believe strongly that uh, the Lord intends for us to live together meaningfully, that he never intended for uh, Christians to be lone rangers. So uh, in line with that, let me just ask all current small group leaders and apprentices stand up for just a moment. If you are not connected in a small group, look around to the folks that are standing. These are the people that you need to speak with. And just by way of warning, you'll probably get invited to their group. So uh, that's how it happens. You guys can be seated. Thank you. Um, this morning, we, as Dan said, we are continuing in Psalm 145. The topic assigned to me is glory. Um, no small task. If you throw a rock at the Bible, you're going to hit glory. Almost a thousand times it comes up. And I'll be honest, I had a hard time this week preparing. So your prayers are coveted. And before we jump in, let's, let's stand and read Psalm 145 together, verses 3 through 12. I think they'll have that up on the screen. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and His greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another, and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty, and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness." They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Let's pray. Father, by your spirit and in accordance with your great mercy, would you open our eyes this morning to see you as you are. 
high and lifted up, glorious and beautiful and all-satisfying. Father, where that is not true in our hearts, I pray that you would, in your goodness, in your kindness, that you would quickly lead us to repentance. Father, this morning and always, let us be a people jealous and zealous for your glory, for your name, and for your fame. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As I said, glory is all throughout the scriptures. Glory, it comes up about 700 times. Glorious, another 200 times. Glorify, almost 100 times. And so my challenge this week is covering a topic this big that no single text covers. In addition to that, working with definitions can be somewhat difficult. So if I tell my girls, which I I try to do often, Lainey, Maddie, you're so beautiful. Now, what happens if they say, Daddy, what's beauty? Uh, Well, okay, I know what it is, but defining it is a little bit difficult. So if someone says, what is glory? What is the glory of God? Okay, I, I think we have the gist of it, but putting a definition to it is, is quite difficult. Culturally, we use the word in a number of ways. It can be described as a place. My dearly departed family member has gone on to glory. It's a thing. We're, we're encouraged to, to do everything to the glory of God. It, it can be used as an exclamation Something good happens, we say glory. Maybe not us, but you could imagine. It's used as a verb, to glory in something, as an adjective, glorious. And it can be, a sunset can be glorious. A military victory can be glorious. The meaning gets watered down as glorious is attached to so many things. And to even further complicate the issue, the way the Bible uses glory, describing um, nations and thrones all the way to chariots and trees and robes, all these things are described as glory or having glory. I want you to turn, if you have your scriptures, to Romans 11. And I think we're going to see a picture of glory, even though uh, the word only appears once at the end of the passage. Romans eleven thirty three to 36. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. This is Paul 
at the end of this three long chapters where he's talking about God's sovereign choice of Israel, their rejection of him as Savior, his mercy showing uh, his, his love and favor to the Gentiles, including them, making them members of the household. And, and all of this is salvation by faith alone, apart from works, and that ultimately he will redeem Israel. He's not done with them. He's thinking on these things, considering God's wisdom, his greatness, his uniqueness, his perfections, his sovereignty. And then what comes is this, this eruption of praise. And he's, he's gushing. He's, he's beside himself. God has no match in riches, no match in wisdom, no match of, of knowledge. Like He says, who can, who can put God in debt? Nobody. Who can explain something to God? Nobody. From him, through him, to him are all things. A quick study of Greek this week uh, showed me that all things means all things from him, through him, to him, are all things. He considers this, and it leads him to worship. And I believe all of these truths summed up um, can be seen in the glory of God. All of these ideas, all of these truths summed up in the glory of God. This morning, I've got two points in my sermon. Point number one is all glory is from God. All glory is from God. There are two words used in the scriptures most commonly. Uh, one in the Old Testament, kabod. The New Testament is doxa. They, they both have the same meaning. They're uh, means weighty, heavy, importance. And these are the words that, that describe God's glory. And they're used in, in a few different ways. Uh, glory can describe the power of a king, as it does in Psalm 145 that we read this morning, where, where David sit, talks about the glory of your kingdom, the glory of your, your rule. Glory can also signify brilliance of shining light. When Moses came down off the mountain, he had to cover his face with a veil because it shone so brightly with the glory of God. That's why Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, he talks about the glory of the sun and another kind of glory of the moon and another kind of glory of the stars. Glory can also highlight the fullness of God. It's why Paul prayed in Ephesians 3.16 that that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power. And it also, glory points us to, to look ahead to what lies before us for, for believers. In Philippians 3, 20 and 21, Paul says that our citizenship is in heaven, from which we eagerly wait for a savior the Lord Jesus who will come and transform our lowly bodies that it may be conformed to his glorious body. So it's used, glory is used in, in, in different ways, but I think above all that, there's one overarching theme. There's one way that ties all these together, and I'm gonna try to say it in a few different ways with the hopes that, that one or two of these might resonate with you. The glory of God is the outshining of his internal perfections. It's the outshining of his internal perfections. 
can also be said that the glory of God is the going public of his greatness. Some will say that, that it's the glory of God is a manifestation of his essential being, of his character. Now, a manifestation is a display of something that's otherwise unknown or unseen. It's, this is how doctors diagnose diseases. There's this list of symptoms, this list of manifestations points to a particular disease. A different list of manifestations points to a unique one. I have this, this clear memory of high school. Uh, I moved to Gainesville, Georgia about halfway through my sophomore year. had a couple classes with a dude named Nathan. We, uh, we would hang out together. We had similar interests, liked the same kind of music, and we enjoyed mountain biking together. And I viewed him as, as a peer. We were equals until one day, junior year, we had just taken the SAT together. Four or five weeks later, uh, scores came back in, and he calls and says, you know, he's just catching up. How's it going? Oh, by the way, how'd you do on the SAT? And I told him, and of course I asked him, well, well, how did you do? And then came the manifestation. He says, 1540. And all of a sudden, it hit me. This, this man is not my peer. <laughs> it was clearly manifested to me. <laughs> and embarrassing how many hundreds of points he beat me by. And the same is true for God. We know his greatness because it's been manifest to us in his glory. Without his glory, all his internal perfections, his beauty, his majesty would, would be lying dormant. We wouldn't know it. We wouldn't see it. But consider the kindness of God that he allows us to see it, that he, he shows us his glory. He's good. So how do we see this in the Bible, this, this definition of an outshining of internal perfection? couple places that I'd like to highlight for us this morning. Isaiah 6, verse 3. Isaiah's called up to heaven in a vision. He's before the throne, before the worship of God. And we, we see an account of, of the angels, the seraphim, and this refrain that they, they use in calling back and forth to one another. Verse 3 says, And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his, what? You would think it would be holiness. Holy, holy, holy. The whole earth is full of his holiness. No, they say it's full of his glory. All this holiness that the seraphim can't quite adequately express, all this internal beauty, all this intrinsic worth that's going out to be seen and fill the earth, it's glory. Exodus 33, 18 and 19, we see where, where Moses makes a request of God. Moses said, please show me your glory. And God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. This was what Matt led us in when we kicked off this series, that, that the name of the Lord 
It's, it's a synonym for his character. It's, it's who he is. And when Moses asked to be shown the glory, he says, yeah, I'll show you who I am. I'll show you my goodness. And I'll show you my name, the Lord. And the Lord is the source of this beautiful radiance. He's awe-inspiring, wonderful, beautiful, satisfying. All glory is from God because it's who he is. Jeremiah 2, he's, he's the living fountain of water. And there's nothing that contain it, can, can contain it. He overflows and know this, that God displays his glory because he wants it to be seen. It's meant to be seen. It's meant to be loved. The purpose of God putting it on display is, is to amaze and awe all of creation. Isaiah 43.7 gives us the reason that we've been created. Consider what the prophet says. Everyone who is called by my name whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. This is, this is a job description for every believer. It's why you exist. It's why you are here. For God's glory. Psalm 19, 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork, all of creation, all of it, from him, through him, to him. It's all for his glory. And this is why Paul in, in Romans 11 says, to God, to him, be glory forever. I can say to the sun, to the sun be heat and brightness forever. Well, me saying that doesn't, make the sun hot or bright. I'm simply recognizing what is true of it. And so when Paul says, to him be glory forever, he's praying and declaring, may your glory be seen, may who you are be displayed and loved forever and ever. This is why Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Jesus is saying the Father's name is hallowed. It is holy. It's sacred. It's set apart. And God, let it be that way more so. Let your fame go forward. Make a great name for yourself in all the earth. And we understand this. We, talk, we use that kind of language. So-and-so has, has started a new plumbing company, and he's really made a name for himself by doing honest work and, and being affordable. So-and-so, she can sing so well, and she's made a name for herself in traveling around. Jesus is, is teaching his disciples to pray, God, we want to see you famous. We want to see your name be great in all the earth. This was um, really why the sin of Babel was so offensive. Genesis 11, verse 4. Coming together, conspiring together, they say, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name 
for ourselves. This is entirely wrong-headed. It's in direct opposition to God when we seek to make a name for ourselves. And know this, that God is fiercely committed to his own glory. He's jealous for it. It's of supreme importance to him. Got a number of passages here to share. Isaiah 42, verse 8. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Isaiah 48, 9 through 11. For my name's sake I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise I restrain it from you, for you, that I may not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. And again, 1 Peter 2.9. Peter talking to the church, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This is what we're made for. This is what God ascribes supreme importance to, and he is committed to it. One of my favorite classes in seminary was an elective I took in my last semester. Um, you'll, after I share this, you'll probably find me extremely nerdy and rightfully so. But with great glee, I signed up for the life and theology of Jonathan Edwards. He is considered to be the greatest American theologian ever. He was a brilliant pastor, scholar, missionary, university pre uh, president, a man absolutely consumed by the glory of God. If you ever want to read something that's going to cause you to see the beauty of Christ and absolutely pummel your pride at the same time, read Edwards. Um, and one of his works that, that did that in me is the end for which God created the world or the reason that God created the world. And, and Edwards' argument is that God's aim, his ultimate end or his ultimate reason in the creation of the world was that the fullness of his inner glory be exhibited and delighted in by creatures. Edwards says that's the reason that there's something instead of nothing. Because God wants his glory to be both seen and delighted in. And if this is God's purpose for my existence, I have to ask, am I living in line with that? Does my purpose in life line up with God and his purpose? Does yours? Is your life in alignment with that of the creator of heaven and earth? And this can go one of two ways. It can produce great fear and dread in us if we realize, no, I'm, 
I'm living to make a name for myself. I'm living for any number of things before your glory. Or it could produce great peace and contentment in us as we humbly seek to live according to his ways. Either way, this display of God's glory demands a response. It demands it. Creation is declaring God's glory. This world that's upheld by his faithful providence. This world of design is pointing to a designer. This world of order is pointing to its orderer. And God rightly expects praise from mankind. His glory does demand it. Now let's say that, that Holly and I are out to eat at dinner. Things are going good and then the waiter comes up and he begins to make an outward display of his inward thoughts towards my wife. He begins to overtly flirt and make advances to my wife. Now talk about an action that demands a response. Now get this, my response to the waiter shows Holly what I think of her. What would happen if, if this guy's hitting on Holly and I say, hey, can I get some more sweet tea when you're done hitting on my wife? Well, that shows Holly, I have little regard for you. Our relationship is not that important to me. However, if I correct this young man in such a way that this never happens again, then it shows Holly, I love you. I have value in us. I'm jealous for you. She knows that she has my affections. And in the same way, God wants us to both see his glory and love it, to delight in it. Now, this is not a burdensome command. This is not oppressive. Delight. Delight in me is what God says. However, this is not the automatic response that we give to God. We're not born inclined to see and love God's glory. We're not even born morally neutral. The scriptures say that we're, bo we're born as rebels in opposition to God. This is the universal human condition. We all know Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Consider what Paul says in Romans 1. The verses should be put up on the screen. <clears throat> For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, a.k.a. glory, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. 
Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. This is what we're all guilty of. Exchanging the glory of God for some worthless thing. Know this today, and I don't want you to be fooled. Your heart, my heart, is a battleground, and glory is up for stakes. Because we've been created for the glory of God, we're wired for worship. It's what we're made to do. And it's absolutely inescapable. Each and every one of us have a God. For some, it's itself. I live for my own happiness. My ultimate end is my own pleasure. And that's how people will make decisions. What, what will lead to the greatest happiness in me? For others, God is money. It's what they think about, plan for, work 100 hours a week for. It's what they lie awake at night worrying about. Their paradigm for decision-making is what will lead to me having the most money. And the sad reality is I can go on and on and on and on and on. John Calvin famously said that our hearts are idle factories. We can make anything, even good things, an ultimate thing. We can make a, a God thing. And again, this is the, univer the universal human condition. Every person in this room has done this or is doing this. And we look to the glory of God and, nah, unimpressed. I would much rather exchange that for this piddly little worthless thing. We exchange it for worthless things. Now, God as I've said, he rightly demands glory from us. And there's only been one man in all of human history to live perfectly for God's glory. The unique God-man, Jesus Christ. If we're to see and love the glory of God, it's because God has shown us great mercy in his Son. And this glory is revealed to us in a person, in a face, Hebrews 1 says of Jesus, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. The exact imprint, the, the, the glory of God, it's seen in Christ. 2 Corinthians 4, Paul is talking about those that, that have not placed their faith in Christ, those that are, that are perishing. He says, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing 
the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God did it in Genesis 1. There was nothing. He spoke to the darkness and said, let there be light. And by his mercy, he does it still in our hearts, saying in the dark and hard and unfeeling place, let there be light. And the glory of the Lord in the face of Christ shines upon us. Philippians 2 is is clear in, in how Jesus condescended himself. Leaving the glory of heaven, leaving the worship of angels, leaving the perfect fellowship and intimacy with his Father, coming to earth, setting aside his rights, and taking the form of a man, of a servant, and willing to obey his Father even though it meant going to the cross. Know this, that that his rescue of us is completely of him. He came to seek and save the lost. This is his work and not ours. And I want you to see how, how imminent, how near he is. Yeah, God's glory highlights that he is transcendent above all his His ways are higher. His thoughts are higher. He is completely other. But he's also imminent. The scriptures call Jesus the suffering servant, the man of sorrows, acquainted with griefs. He came, Emmanuel, God with us. He entered into our pain, into our sufferings. He's the great high priest who can sympathize with you. He knows what it's like. He knows the way you you hurt and the way you're you're tested and tried. He is the great high priest and the face of the glory of God. That's point one. All glory is from God. Point two, give all the glory to God. This should lead us to profound humility. Humility that we should boast only in Christ, knowing that we've done nothing praiseworthy, knowing that we've done nothing to merit any credit or applause. Now, we all know people that constantly talk about themselves. They can't wait to tell you the latest thing that they've accomplished. And it's just embarrassing to hear them go on and on about themselves. Or maybe you've been at work before and the boss will say, wow, uh, you did a great job on this, knowing full and well you didn't have anything to do with it. It's, it's relieving to say, no, 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 not me. It was so-and-so that did it. It's shameful to take credit for something that, that you have not earned. If you're here this morning and you're a believer in the Lord Jesus you don't have a leg to stand on. There's, there's no basis for you to be prideful 
or arrogant. You're a member of the family because you've been adopted. You're at the table because you've been brought to it. And because we have been shown such great mercy, we respond to His kindness by by seeking to give Him glory. So in giving all the glory of God, all the glory to God, we can boast only in Him. I want to challenge you to give glory to God in your heart. uh, Excuse me, John 15, 5 through 8. Jesus says, I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Now the passage ends that that God is, is glorified with the good fruit. But all the emphasis of this passage is not on fruit production, but it's on abiding. Abide in me. Let your abode be in me. Get your life and sustenance all from me. And once again, this is not an oppressive command. Jesus' invitation to, to draw near, to come near, is not a burden. Can you imagine how paralyzing it would be if this passage said, produce fruit, produce fruit, produce fruit, and if you don't, you're out. If you do such and such one more time, then you're done. Or if you don't start doing this thing over here, then you're out of the family. None of us could stay in the family like that. The fruit that is produced comes from abiding it's not you don't you don't muster it up on your own strength you aim to live in a way that's in vital union with christ abiding in him and he does the work he does that production in you that leads to great glory for his own namesake it's not something it's not a a matter of of doing better and trying harder It's drawing near, pressing in closer to Christ and let Him change you. And when that fruit comes, Jesus says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Don't don't do it for your namesake. Don't do it for yourself. Often pray Psalm 115.1, not to us. Not to us, but to your name be the glory. Give glory to God in your heart. So what does, this, what does this practically look like? What kind of fruit is it that God is greatly glorified in? Well, say it again so there's crystal clarity that it's the fruit that comes from abiding in him. But it's when a husband loves his wife. God is glorified. When children are obeying parents, God is glorified. When we share the gospel and love our neighbor, when we work hard with integrity and give our 
our employer an honest day, when we handle our finances with integrity, when we defend the defenseless and are generous with our resources, when we disciple a young believer, all these things glorify the Father. He's greatly glorified in his children in all these things. And so when we wrap it all up, when we, when we see that God's glory is the outshining of his internal perfections, and that the way that we can magnify those things are, are not by doing better and trying harder, but by drawing near, by seeking to, to uh, find our abode in him. Then he does the work. Paul's right. All things are from him and through him and to him. To God be the glory forever. And so we can, we can say with Paul in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, so that whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, you can do it for the glory of God. Let's pray.